Hello, and welcome to episode 142 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Chris Barkham, comics creator. Chris has an awesome Kickstarter going on. The Amazing Adventures of Superior Sam presents Take a, Takes Superior Sam Takes a Knee. Uh, this is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Chris, you were on episode 109. Thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, for anybody who didn't listen to that first podcast, uh, please give us a little bio about yourself and the comics that you make. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me back on. Yes, my name is Chris Barkham. I'm the writer and the creator of The Amazing Adventure of Superior Sam. Um, I'm a retired police officer, amputee, public speaker, and I live in Stanton, Virginia, and I also help run my local comic book store, The Secret Lair. Yep, and I know you from there, and uh, we had a great talk last time, and I really recommend everybody going back and listening to that to talk about your origins and the origins of Superior Sam, um, but in order not to sort of retread that ground, I guess I just wanted to sort of take it uh, this uh, as a jumping off point just to talk about um, the new issue that's on Kickstarter right now and where the origins of that story came from, because uh, when we talked probably back in April or May, uh, was this like on your radar at all to write a story like this? No, this wasn't on my radar at all. Actually, my radar was we were going to do issue number nine, which introduced Cool Hand Carla. Mm -hmm. We were going to do issue number 10 was kind of a toss up on what we were going to do. But, you know, those were my plans. And then we kind of shut down, you know, everything shut down with COVID. And then everything that went on with, you know, over the, you know, the early portion of the spring slash summer with everything with the police and, you know, the black community and a lot of, you know, just stuff like that. And it, it really kind of changed things for me. And especially when I started to see how things were going on and being handled and specifically started thinking more about like my interactions with people and with kids and in general, just with race. So it definitely kind of pushed things out, you know, and then allowed, you know, I had this idea, so we went ahead and did it. That's interesting. Was it sort of interactions in the comic store, I guess? Cause that was sort of like the one place you could sort of be, or was it with like family and other things? So, it was funny, you know, normally in the comic shop, we, we try not to do politics talk unless it's like amongst the employees or, you know, like people we're close with. We want the comic shop to kind of be a neutral place where you can mm -hmm. come in, relax, have a good time. And even with Sam, like a lot of people used to tell me they really liked the comic because I didn't do politics. Mm. And it was funny because I told, you know, I did a podcast a few weeks ago and I was telling those guys during all of this, like everybody's watching Netflix and Hulu and binging stuff. And I had watched with my wife now the Taylor Swift documentary that was on Netflix where she had talked about like her decision to finally kind of go with politics and say what she believed and candidates she supported and everything. I was like, you know, this is really impressive. You know, she's got this platform and she's using it for what she thinks is the best thing. And, you know, it's funny because like even my wife was like, hey, maybe we don't do this because I've always joked about, I really want to do a superior Sam story about the, you know, kind of social media and getting wrapped up in it and believing everything you read. And then I always joked that the premise of the story would be that Sam was running for class president 
against Brad, who is the like the leader of the bad boys club, the big bully in the school. And they had this like kind of like Twitter thing where Sam doesn't use it, but Brad does. And even though Brad, we know is the bad guy in the story, still wins to get to be class president because he just has this reach that Sam doesn't have because he doesn't use social media and just says whatever he wants to. So, and nobody really checks it. But what was funny was I was actually in, I was at the comic shop. I had just seen some of the early footage from, I want to say it wasn't Atlanta. It was, um, and and you'll have to forgive me. I'm kind of tired, but it was from the Michael Floyd case, but it was, you know, some of the, 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 like the protesting and the rally footage. And I got to see how the cops were reacting. And I kept telling people, this is a shame. You know, you, you shouldn't see this out of people, out of police officers. Those that are just, you know, supposed to protect and serve, like there are guys that are like pumped up, they're excited to be out there. And then there's video, you know, I was like, this is not how this is supposed to be. Like I've done, and I've worn the riot gear and I've, I've never been in a riot you know, but I've had to do some of that stuff with it. And, you know, it's like I told people, like, even my coworkers and I, like, when we train for this stuff, we always talk about, like, we were taught, like, you don't want to have to do this. And these guys look excited to do this. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this, this is a problem. And I just got to watching and looking and, you know, and being a police officer, I kind of kept my a retired police officer, I kind of kept my mouth shut because everybody assumed I was on the other side. Mm. But what happened is, is I was talking with another comics creator who actually was on Twitter and I'd met a time and he and I, you know, we really chatted and everything. And, you know, we were talking through a private message and everything. And he's like, you know, the beauty of being a comics creator is, is you have a voice and you can do what you want. And then I just happened to be at the shop talking with my buddy, Steve, who owns it. And he's like, you know, Chris, you've got a comic and your audience is kids. If you really want to make a statement on, you know, on this, maybe you should do a Sam story about it. And I was like, you guys are right. So I sat down and I really, you know, and I was watching some of the news footage and things like that. And I was getting more upset with what I saw, especially the behavior from law enforcement. And I'm not saying like all the behavior was bad, but the majority that I saw was not something I'd be proud to say I was ever associated with. And I had this idea that, you know, let's do this story. And, you know, I started slowly working it out and I was like, and it came together kind of quick. And then I I let some friends of mine read it and some other peers read it. And they were like, this is fantastic. Like, we really like where you're going with this and you're making this statement. And not only is it about social justice, Black Lives Matter, but it's also about racism and how there's just no place for it in society especially in law enforcement too. So one thing that's interesting is whenever anybody brings up like don't my don't make my comic too political. If you think about how many of those people read like an X-Men comic in the 80s like didn't realize that that's the message they, that they were getting. So like when people are like keep politics out of my comics and I'm like but did you like old X-Men comics? And they're like, oh yeah, I love that. And I'm like, you realize that you were, you were getting the same message. So do you, do you feel a little bit of that when you writing Superior Sam? So I didn't early on because, you know, I kind of stuck out of like the, the big politics things, you know, some of the big topics. But when I started doing this issue, like it was weird because I've told people before, one of the things that I tried to do with Sam is 
I try to make it very inclusive. So even though, you know, some of the art didn't show it, like certain characters are different, you know, when I designed them, they're different ethnicities and things like that. And I'm not trying to throw zombie under the bus, but like, you know, what he thinks this person looks like, what I think they look like and what they show in the book are two different, three different things sometimes. And one of the things that I liked with Josh was, is I really was able, you know, cause there was no language barrier, really able to hit home with the, no, this person is supposed to be of this race, this ethnicity, you know, look like this exactly. And he got this a little better. So I think it shows up in issues eight and on, but, and I know where you're going. Your question was, the one thing I wanted to do was I told people, I was like, you know, my career, you know, this, this comic is early, but I told somebody when I did this story, I was like, if this is the comic that ends superior Sam, I'm fine going out on a note like this, hmm. you know? And then I told my wife, I was like, if I'm going to do this one, I'm going to talk about some other things that I've got on my mind. Like I did a story and I don't know when we'll get to it. Cause it is, you know, one kind of further down a little bit. If I look at my schedule, but like, I did a score story with a trans character mm-hmm. and, you know, because, and, and I was like, and someone was like, well, you know, I told somebody I did it and they're like, you think that's a good idea? Like to talk to kids about this. And I was like, yes, it's a perfectly fine topic to talk to children about how many kids do you meet that, you know, are, you know, either confused or, you know, they you know, you see them at some point and they dressed up, you know, in their mom's clothes and then their dad caught them and they're immediately getting scolded you know, and whether they, you know, they're more comfortable in that or they did it as a joke, you know, you don't know. But what I want Sam to do is I want Sam to be able to create a way to have a dialogue and to be able to talk to your children about topics that you might not be comfortable talking to them about. And I'm not saying every, you know, Sam comic is going to be like that, but I just feel now like some of my best writing is coming out and it sometimes is in this more, you know, this other conversation point that I didn't go to a lot, but I feel like when I'm doing this, because I'm a little more passionate about the subject matter, you're getting a better story. Yeah. That's something, uh, having read through the series recently, what I like about how you speak to kids is almost in a way of like play, you know, and make believe, which really like, you know, it speaks to the inner child in me because I grew up make believe, you know, playing as superheroes. And um, I love how each cover sort of shows sort of like an imaginary version of the real story that's going on. But then as you go, it's almost like a, it's a conversation you're having with the kids. You're not necessarily talking down to them. And you're sort of inviting them into this world to sort of play in this world with Sam and the other kids and sort of learn through this sort of more playful way, which I, which I really like. Is that sort of what you're doing in this issue as well? It is. And one of the things that I wanted to do, like, I'm glad you caught on to that. Cause like, I like to have the fun covers because people like a good cover. Yeah. But one of the things I tell people is, is none of my kids have powers. And actually I was just having this conversation with somebody is somebody told me that they felt that I had too many superheroes in the comics because almost every book has a new, new hero. So I actually had decided I'm going to do this one of not this. Well, it was actually this story and another story where I'm not going to add any new heroes because I do have a lot and I don't always get to reuse all those heroes. And then somebody else I was talking to and I was telling them what this other person had said was like, but that's the fun of it. Don't you remember being a kid? And when the new neighbor kid showed up and you were playing cops and robbers, or if you were playing superheroes or power Rangers or GI Joe, they immediately joined in as their own character. 
you know, and that's what I wanted was these are just regular kids that dress up and pretend to be superheroes. And they just happen to live in this community with, you know, educators and parents that support this creativity and what they're doing. And that's kind of where what I wanted to do was, like I said, you know, I was taught as a police officer, when you talk to children, you have to get down on their level, but you don't want to belittle them. And you don't want to intentionally speak to them in a way that sounds like you're poking fun at them or you're really dumbing it down for them. So I do use some bigger words. I try to stick to, you know, certain word counts and certain things. But at the end of the day, I also try to talk like, you know, how I think a kid would talk. And I think that comes from still reading a lot of comics, watching cartoons, but also too, like one of my, you know, I don't do very well reading anymore, but I do enjoy reading some children's picture books still because I love the art in them or, you know, or I look at like some of the YA stuff and things like that. So I feel like, you know, I'm still staying in that, like that, that reader level. So I know what words to use, but at the end of the day, I want the kids to be able to look at it, read the book and go, oh, yeah, I get that. Like, they understand it. They don't have to ask that question. But, but yeah, I, I hope that answered that question as well as it could. Yeah, and I guess I wanted to ask also about the covers, too. Um, was that something, like, where did the idea for that come from, where you have the, the front and back covers are the sort of more typical superhero comic book covers? Like, there's even one that's sort of an homage to, like, the Fantastic Four uh, number one and things like that, like the monster coming up out of the ground and all that. And then like on the back, there's like a different angle of that battle or like a different time. But then in the middle, of course, it's all the very real grounded, you know, the kids playing as superheroes thing. So where did that idea come from? So I actually wanted the covers to tell a story. So if you look at the front of the cover and then you look at the back, you should get the beginning of a story and the ending when you flip them over. Right. So like four is a great one because that's a fantastic four homage. And because we introduced Viva, um, Viva Fox or Viva as her regular name is, I just thought, I, I remembered all those early comics and how they were like brand new character and all that. And I thought it'd be really cool to do this like fun cover with this giant monster on it. And, you know, it introduces this new character. It says it on the cover, but then the back, you know, is like the monsters defeated. But yeah, the inside of the story has nothing to do with that, but it was one of those things where it was just like, I wanted to have some fun with the covers and try to have them tell a short story as well. But, you know, I know people like covers and covers sometimes sell the book a little more too, but it was, you know, at the same time, like we put little hints to what was going on in the books and the covers. So like, if you look at one, if you look at the front cover and the back cover, Sam is, you know, getting right, you know, at the bottom with his cape on and he has two legs. But if you look at the back cover, he's looking up and he's missing, you know, he's got his prosthesis now. So it's telling you like, he's going to lose a leg in that issue. The, the most ironic, the weirdest cover is too, because it was supposed to be like a, like a Superman spoof where he runs into, instead of a phone booth, it's the bathroom because he's in an elementary school and he comes out in the costume. But what it looks like is, is it's a kid running into the bathroom because he's had an accident. (laughs) It was to kind of show like he's getting a new costume in this book. And like, he's running to help somebody because they are, they're dealing with that bully in that situation. That's just kind of a, they hear the noise and they run to the danger. Yeah. Three is like, they're stopping the shoplifter and it's the bank robbery. Yeah. Cause it was like, these kids are never going to stop a bank robbery, but it's just like, Oh look. And then it shows, you know, and two, three was an important cover because you know, there's a police officer on the cover. Yeah. And it was like, you know, look, 
they went to the police officer for help. And at the end of it, he helped them. He the, the robbers caught. So that was kind of the idea was to tell this other little story, but also kind of like super, like kind of really pretend like what the theme of the book was. Yeah. And I, I actually had a deep cut question about number two, uh, about the scene where they, they, they keep the first grader from going to the bathroom without the hall pass, where the origin of that sequence came from. Because so, like, I was like, I was like, that's awful that they did that to the kid, but I wanted to hear your take on it first. So the way I imagined that was kind of, you know, and this is a little police officer in-ish, but there's this kind of idea with people where there's, in policing, there's one, this idea, you don't always have to give somebody a ticket or a summons to get your point across. Sometimes right. just inconveniencing somebody can be just as big a deterrent. So like if you're taking a traffic stop, for instance, but I also imagine that like, they're these new superheroes, they've got a little authority and it's like, it's of all people, it's kind of gone to their head a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's how I kind of imagine that. Cause like, here's Sam, like this kid's not committing a crime. He's not no. doing anything <laughs> wrong, but here's Sam like, no, this is the rule. You have to have a hall pass. And like, this kid doesn't have one. It was something, it, it took me back to my childhood because I would have been that kid, not the kid running to the bathroom, but I would have been Sam. Like that power would have gone to my head and I would have been the kid who was like, no, you pee your pants if you don't have a hall pass. Yeah. And, and a lot of kids love that panel too. That's like great. I get a lot of people that talk about it and they're like, with kids, you know, one of the things I find is like, it sounds horrible, but if you make bathroom humor, they really kind of enjoy it to a degree. Oh yeah. And I'm like, Okay, you know, like, so it was a little bathroom humor, but I just actually, so it's really funny, while doing the Kickstarter, moving the comic book store, the biggest issue I've struggled with is doing an issue with, for, related to autism and a child on the spectrum. Hmm. And I had this idea all because I heard somebody farts on the radio. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. This is the perfect way to do this story. So I wrote out the synopsis for it and I told my wife about it and everything. And she's like, I love this. And she's like, and the kids are going to like it because you use this whoopee cushion as like a joke. Uh -huh. And I was like, I know this is great, isn't it? You know, it's like a little bathroom <laughs> humor goes a long way. So. <laughs> so when you're writing and you're doing an all age comic, are you thinking of like ways to sort of rope people in with the, you know, the, 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 the quick humor, the, the, the bathroom humor, but then deliver the sort of deeper message beyond that? Yeah, I try to, I try to stick to that, you know, kind of traditional method of like, we're going up, you know, like headed towards the climax and then we're going to come back down. But I want you to enjoy, you know, it's, you know, like some of it, because I also don't want it to be too serious. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, Matt, if you've ever read any of the books or all of the books, but like, I know Noah has, I don't deal with very light topics in some cases. So some of that humor really breaks up some of what's going on. And I use that as a way to make a book with a very serious topic, not as serious. I'm not trying to take away from the topic. It's just sometimes when you really hit people hard with something, that's what they remember. And I do get that a lot from people. But they also, you know, I get a lot of people like, oh, I found this funny, or I liked how you did this joke, or, so I kind of use that, but, like, some issues, like, I don't do it as much, and I don't know if the story's as good sometimes. 
And I don't like to rely on the gimmick. Like, I'm not trying to say that I use this gimmick to do it, but I think if I also wrote like a truly like a true Sam story and I only stuck to the, it would be a very heavy issue. And I don't know how well that would go over with like, with kids, like, would they take it too heavy or not be able to ask a question because like they're pondering now, like this huge life thing that was just thrown in their face. But if I make it a little light in topic, it's a little easier for them to talk about, you know, kind of deal. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, again, another, uh, to go to do a deep cut one, I can't remember if it's seven or six where the, the super team is, is going, is going up against the bad kid club. And, um, the main bad Brad says, uh, you know, makes a comment about Sam's dad who's passed away. And that's probably the most serious issue that you have. Um, that one, like, but like you sort of keep a good tone again, where it's not too sad, but you sort of address the idea of like, and I, and I like how in that one, Brad makes a comment about Sam's dad to pick on him and Sam runs away cause he's hurt and all his friends go to comfort him. But then all of Brad's friends, leave him for saying that too because it's it's not cool um and yeah like i like how sort of that you you handled that in a very uh kid-friendly way so that that's the death slash grief issue is what i like to call it and that was hands down the hardest sam story that i have written today wow like that was one that i remember i knew i wanted to do an issue about death and grief because it plays a huge role in my life and I knew I wanted to talk about this. And I also wanted to point out that like being a first responder is a dangerous job. Yeah. And that was something that we accomplished. Like there was like, a, I don't want to call it an ulterior motive, but like there was a little, like an additional like layer to that story it was like being a first responder is a dangerous job. But I also wanted to, with that, talk about how words can really hurt somebody, whether you realize it or not and how it's okay if your friend says something wrong to stand up to them and to tell them. But like, for me, when I looked at that issue, one of the things that I, my favorite part about that issue is, is if you've read the stories, you know, that Billy is like the cut up character. Mm -hmm. Like Billy is based off my brother. Okay. And I'm not saying like, I I treat my brother like this, but like, I kind of use him as the cut up character. So, you know, it's like this fun little joke my brother and I have, he's like, why do I always get to be the embarrassing one in the stories? And I'm like, because I write it and I'm the older brother. So it's this little joke we have, but I gave Billy this very serious part in it when he tells the story. Yeah. And it was something where someone, you know, where people were like, I didn't, I didn't see that if they were fans of the series coming, because usually you use this character as a cut up. And in this case, you're using him very seriously. But then he's got that great Billy line at the end where he's like, hey, it's pizza day. Like he's immediately back to the food thing. Because that's how kids are sometimes, where you can talk about the serious thing, and then two seconds later, it's, okay, what are we doing now? Yeah. Like, it's over, they don't have that issue. But, you know, that was one of those issues where it deals with a lot of things, and there's a lot of layers to that issue, because you have the death and the grief story. You have the first responder, you know, being a dangerous job. You have the words can hurt. And then you have it being okay to go get help and to talk to somebody and to get, see a counselor and things like that. So there's a lot that goes on in that issue, but one of the things that I'm most proud of with it is that we kind of kept this really, you know, like tone across the board and it doesn't go too sad. It doesn't go too happy, but it just goes right at, you know, this line and it works. And there's a little humor, but there's a lot of seriousness, but you know, 
when you read it and especially the epilogue, like I was very proud of the epilogue because, you know, one of the things with comics is, is I wanted people to know the end, even if we never got to do an ending. I wanted them to know what happened to Sam in the end, but I thought that it added this level of like, where if you thought this was a depressing story, here's this additional layer of kind of hope and like showing you what good can come out of these things. Yeah, that's a, it's a very hopeful issue, but it's a, it's, it was very heartwarming too to, to read through it and also to get such a good heartwarming story and under, you know, how long was that comic? Maybe, maybe 10 pages long. Yeah, most of the Sam stories range anywhere from eight to sixteen pages. Yeah, like again, um, that was that's that's probably one of the most impressive things about the stories are just sort of how short, but you got a nice complete story out of them. Well, that that also happens to do with budget. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have a ton of money, so <laughs> sometimes we gotta like we gotta cut some things to you know make it work. We gotta keep it short, and sweet. I can't run a B, an A, a B, and a C storyline like I can do an A, <laughs> and that's about it. So. I would love to do more, but, you know, sometimes money does persist, you know, but we yeah. try hard because the other thing too is kids' attention spans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're not that long. Like you, I, Matt, we can read, you know, a 24 page comic plus ads and things like that. I'm competing against TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you know, Rick and Morty and all of these other things that can do a storyline in a few seconds to a few minutes. So I've got to make this fast because I know the attention span's not there either. So, yeah. So when you started to write uh, this issue um, in light of all the things that were happening, there was so much happening like in a 24 hour period, you know, as we looked at like the news cycle from one day to the next, so many things changed and you're in the process of taking those in and, and writing a story. Um, how much did that sort of change what you were writing? You know, say like if you were one night sitting down and you were doing something and the next day you may, you tune in the CNN and you see, you know, this new aspect of, of the story that's sort of like the touch point moment of the day. Was there anything that would change your, your writing process there? So not necessarily when, when I had the idea for what we wanted to do with this story, which I should probably tell people the premise if you don't know it. So the premise of this story is, is that Sam and his friend Tony, who is black, they're breaking up a fight in the school hallway. When all of a sudden the new school source resource officer, Officer Robert shows up and immediately arrests Tony. Sam's like, but he wasn't fighting. Tony tries you know, to say, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. I was trying to break up the fight. But Officer Robert doesn't want to hear it. And you know, at the end, of the, you know, the end of the thing, Sam has tried, Tony has tried. They've talked to both Officer Robert, the principal. No one wants to listen to them because a police officer has said that this kid was fighting even though he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And what happens is Sam has this moment where he's like, how can this happen? Sam, you know, his dad was a police officer. Sam wants to be a police officer. And Sam's been raised with this kind of, with with his mom. And, you know, you do the right thing. You stand up for people. You treat everybody the same. And he's never looked at it any, you know, like a race in a way. And he has this moment, especially where he's talking with the other superheroes. Like Carla does appear in this issue. And she was originally planned to be the series first black character. And that was, she was going to appear in issue nine. But like I said, we bumped it to do this story. But I felt she needed to be in there because just like her, we have Michael, who is Hispanic, and we have Viva, 
who is actually Lebanese, and we have Freddie, who is Indonesian. So they're trying to, they're telling Sam, no, you don't understand. We're, we're different races. Things like this happen to us all the time. Like, you, you don't realize this. And Sam gets really upset because he doesn't think this is what happens. He thinks everybody should be good and is good. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, so he's like, well, what do we do? And the kids are like, well, what can we do? We can hold a rally. We can show support for Tony by doing this thing. And the, and the kids get involved and the parents get involved. And I don't want to give away what happens at the end of the story, but essentially Tony's going to be brought back to school. So when I was watching, you know, the, the one of the things that bothered me the most was when I started watching it, I finally had to stop. I stopped going on Twitter and luckily I don't mean this like pun intended. My Twitter got hacked during all of this. So I had to shut down my Twitter, which was great because I was, you know, I was at the point where I couldn't go on Twitter because I didn't know what to say. And I was getting really upset with what I was seeing, you know, because I don't believe people should be treated like this, whether you believe in what they're, you know, what they're out there doing or not on either side, you know, I don't believe in violence is the solution. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, and I've always considered myself, you know, kind of a sympathetic, empathetic person. But then I started thinking, you know, like the more I watched some of these things, the more I thought about my own police career and mistakes that I had made and, you know, how I kind of learned from those mistakes. And, you know, and I was younger or newer on the department and how I tried to change things and, you know, make differences. But the one thing I knew with the Sam story was when I finally, you know, had the idea and it actually had the scripts done, the biggest thing that I, you know, that I would change was when people peer read it and they were like, hey, make this character stand up for himself more. Like you didn't do this enough. And I was like, okay. And you know, so if somebody gave me really good advice, like that was what was changing it, but I didn't really let what I was seeing in the news change it because I knew where I wanted to go with this story. I knew I never wanted to do a story where it was, you know, they go and they beat up officer Robert because they get mad or, you know, it's let's destroy the school because we get mad. I wanted to show people that you could do these things peacefully on both sides and that if you talk about it and you listen to each other and you have dialogue that you can you know reach a solution in these situations violence is not the answer and you know that's what I tried to do and even when we were writing the story like I had somebody who told me they're like I think you should do this and I was like well one of the problems with doing what you're suggesting is is because that's what goes on right now and that lack of discrep, you know, transparency really causes an issue for people when they don't know how you got to this answer. And mm-hmm. I want to show people that you can, you know, people can be, you know, rise up to this level that you expect them to if you treat them like adults and you treat everybody the same. So I, I think that's the best answer I can give you for that one. So it's a good no, answer. It was, it was, it was a great answer. Um, yeah. And uh, well, we had um, we had someone on a couple of weeks ago who sort of had a similar approach to their their art their their art that they were making for Black Lives Matter and for, for these current events and talking about how yeah it's it's it was important for them to tell a story that was uplifting, uh, preach sort of nonviolent solutions to things, um, and I guess I wanted to talk to you about how why is it important to you to tell that kind of story, to tell something that's uplifting um, in the end and more, more about, you know, 
you know, being peaceful and nonviolent in, in your solutions for this? So first off, I want to say this, because this kind of goes back to the other question. One thing that I've tried to do with Sam is throughout every issue is, is I've tried to do it with no blood, no gore, no profanity. Mm -hmm. So even though there is some fighting in there, because like there's the bully scenes and things like that, or even with Viva, when she, you know, she, she kicks the bully who's taking the money. I've really tried to limit the violence because I do think there's a lot of that in the world. And if you kind of can get away from that, you, you, you could tell a story without needing that per se. But I always tell people this one story from when I was a police officer, because I think it really spoke. One, you have to fathom when I became a police officer, I was 22 years old. I was 5'10 and I was 136 pounds. My nickname was Baby Cop. My bulletproof vest was made out of two women's back plates because they didn't make a standard men's plate small enough for me. All of my uniforms had to be hemmed and brought in because I was so little. And one of the things that I was taught growing up was the golden rule. You treat everybody as you want to be treated until otherwise. And that was my approach going into law enforcement was I wanted to treat everybody just how I wanted to be treated. And what I hoped was this would keep me alive and not get killed. And one of the stories that I remember is we got a call and we were going to deal with this individual who it was a domestic assault. It was not a good call, but I remember being told this guy fights the police no matter what. That's why you're hearing a half a dozen officers being sent because this guy fights the police every time. And I was like, okay. And they're like, but look, this is your sector. And I was still in field training when this went on. And you're going to have to take control of this call. And I was like, okay. So got to the, you know, got to the house, knocked on the door. The guy answers the door. And I remember he had a beer in his hand and a cigarette in his mouth. And I was like, hey, I'm so-and-so with the county police. Got a call. And, you know, some profanities, you know, kind of there. And then it was, here's where my wife is. And I said, hey, do me a favor. This officer's going to watch you. You have a seat down over there. Why don't you finish your beer, smoke your cigarette? I'm going to go check on the other people in this house. And he was real cool about it. And that's what he did. And by the time I got done talking with everybody else that was there, you know, I came back out and I kind of looked at him and I was like, look, I don't need to ask you any questions. I've got enough probable cause just to arrest you. So if you don't want to make a statement, you don't have to. And I was like, but, and at this point, remember, there's a half a dozen officers because what they had done is they dispatched everybody with a field trainer, with a field train. So they really only sent three officers, but it was two officers to a car. Okay. So, but they sent us all there. And because it was my call, I was kind of running it. And I was like, so let's do this. If you're not going to give me any statements and I don't have any questions for you, why don't you finish the cigarette, we'll walk out to the car. I don't have to handcuff you in front of your kid you know, and then we can just, you know, go about our business. And he was really cool about it, you know, and I'm not trying to play up like what he did, you know, is a good thing, but he was cool. You know, he finished his cigarette, you know, he got done, he threw it on the side, he turned around and put his hands behind his back. We cuffed him, searched him, got him in the car. And then I remember my FTO just kind of coming down on me as we were driving away. And he was like, you were too nice to that guy. You didn't have control of the situation. And all of a sudden I hear this thud on the cage window because we have plexiglass cage, you know, divider between us. And this guy is like, if it wasn't for that little, and he used a couple profan profanity, but he swears he's like, I'd have beat all y'all's asses. <laughs> so, 
And I remember just kind of like, I had this smug look like, you know, like told you, like, and that was my approach was, I always believed that you could talk somebody. I'm a big talker. You can tell by my answers to your questions. <laughs> I can talk. And that was my approach was to wear them down in conversation. I never wanted to go hands-on because almost everybody was bigger than me. And I also believed in honesty. So if people ask me, hey, am I going to get arrested? I'd be like, I don't know, or probably, you know, or in some cases, I just tell them yes. Like, I didn't want to lie to people because I didn't feel right about it. And trickery and deceit in Virginia is legal, so I can lie to you as a police officer. It's not illegal. You know, but, but I felt like if I was honest with people, they would be honest with me. And this was an approach I took. And when I left the police department, you know, one story that stuck out in my police career besides that one was I had a supervisor who had kind of gotten wind that I was like getting a rep as like the nice cop. And he said, let me tell you this story. So he tells this story and it's essentially, he was working, he went to a restaurant. When he went into the restaurant, he saw a wanted felon. The felon ducked into a bathroom. And when he went in to go get him, he had actually climbed up on a counter and waited and attacked him and literally was, you know, beating him down when somebody just knocked this guy unconscious. And, you know, I remember my supervisor telling me, he's like, I looked up and it was one of the employees of the restaurant. And he looked at me and he said, you arrested me last week, but you were a cool dude and I didn't want anybody to hurt you. And I told this story and I talked about how if you can use your words and be empathetic and sympathetic with people instead of just turning off the emotion and treating people like a reporter, you will get more with them. You'll get further with them. And that's my approach. Now, I'm not telling you like I, I, I lived this nonviolent life and never got into a fight as a police officer, never drew my weapon. That's not how that job works, but I really tried hard not to do this. And I also think part of my upbringing had something to do with it because I grew up in a domestically violent family mm. and, you know, in a household. And, you know, I didn't, you know, like what I learned, you know, had happened or had seen. And, you know, I looked at it, you know, so like violence, I always, I've never thought is the answer. I've always thought that talking can get more done. But I do understand, you know, unfortunately, that sometimes that's the only language some people understand, if that makes any sense. It's, so. Yeah, it's, a, it's never a simple answer in anything, but it's, it's always good to know why people, why it matters to them that, you know, and especially when you're talking with kids, too, that, you know, talking to kids, why it's important to them to understand that violence isn't the answer um, to, like, long-lasting solutions um to things and uh yeah so yeah. That, that, that was a good answer you know i i tell kids this story when i speak all the time i talk about how when i was in elementary school shortly after my parents divorced i became a pretty big bully and i was well known for getting into fights and what i tell a lot of kids is they're like oh that's cool and i'm like no that isn't cool i was like because one of these kids that I beat up when I became a police officer, I happened to be back in my, you know, my hometown in Ashtabula, Ohio. And I saw this kid in the mall and I tried to go up and apologize because it had always bothered me, you know, and, and he didn't know the reason. Like I was upset about my parents' divorce, but also I was getting beat up by other kids that basically, if you didn't go beat up somebody, you got beat up. So like, I, I didn't feel like I had a choice because I didn't want to get beat up. And I wanted to apologize to him. And as soon as he saw me, I was an adult. This kid last saw me when I was in the fourth grade. 
Mm-hmm. He ran the other way. Like he knew exactly who I was still. And I said, this is what I don't want in my life. I don't want to, you know, I've traumatized somebody like this. This isn't how I want to live. And I tell people, I'm like, I recognize that I made a mistake all those years ago. And ever since then, these mistakes that I've been trying to make up for, like, and that's something I tell people is, is you can make mistakes in life, but you've got to learn from them. And this is where I think sometimes, especially in law enforcement, really laxes. We keep seeing these same mistakes being made over and over and over, and there's no change to it. You know, they try, but it doesn't happen. So. Yeah, it's a difficult, yeah, it's a, it's a hard subject to, ta- to talk about. So I really appreciate you being honest about it. And that's, um, yeah, it's important. Well, that's what happens when you marry a counselor and you go to counseling <laughs> once a week for several years. Like, yeah, you know, that's something else we could talk about, you know, too, is like, you know, I'm not, I, I, and I tell people this too, is I, and I want to clarify this. I am not one of, you know, I'm not somebody who believes in defunding the police departments. That, that I, I will tell you adamantly right now, it will never work. We are not a society that cannot have a law enforcement center. But what we can have is a smarter, better trained, better, and when I say equipped, I don't mean with equipment. There is that aspect to it, but I believe mentally. Like I talked with a police officer at length during the start of this Kickstarter, and when he heard what I was doing, he, you know, he kind of gave me that look like, oh, you've, you've betrayed us. But then I was like, but let me ask you this. I was like, you know, maybe I'm a little honest because I go to counseling and I don't like to lie. But I was like, let me ask you this. Do you think you're better off if maybe you talk to somebody instead of storing all these emotions and then, you know, something happens and you've got all this pent up problems and issues that, you know, I'm not saying you take out on somebody else, but, you know, maybe unbeknowingly, like you might hit somebody a little harder than you should have. He's like, I really do believe that, you know, you know, and he agreed with me. He was like, yeah, you know, we should talk about the things we see and how we interact. Well, that's equipping a police officer mentally, you know, so that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about, you know, when it comes to like how to better equip police officers. So. And uh, sort of switch it over, not that I'm trying to avoid sort of tougher subjects, but uh, your wife is present in the comics. Uh, and again, since we were talking, she has become your wife, because I think when we talked at the beginning of the summer, you guys were still engaged and um, got married last month, right? Last month in July. Um, got married in June. In June. So yeah, Don't so, worry, I forgot our one month anniversary <laughs> already. So. Yeah, and, uh, but she's, uh, uh, she's present as a character in the book, mainly her in name, because um, Viva is based off your wife, correct? She is, yeah. So Viva's costume and Viva as a character is based off my wife. The one funniest thing with Viva is my wife is not Lebanese, but one of my wife's very good friends is, and my wife was like, I want her to be based off my friend because I think she's a very empowering person. Mm. So it was really weird to try to explain to someone like, hey, can I have a baby picture? Like, you know, one when you're a little younger, like, cause I want to show it to my artist so we can draw you as a child. But like, yes, um, Olivia, AKA Viva, AKA Viva Fox is my wife. Um, and it's really funny cause someone told me once the name was kind of sexist and I was like, no, you don't understand. My girlfriend, went, my, my wife, I keep saying girlfriend, we were together 10 years. We still are. <laughs> but um, my my wife went to an all-girls college, Sweetbriar College down in um, Southern Virginia, and their logo is the Vixen, which is the female fox. 
So that, and my, and my wife's nickname is Viva. That's what her family calls her. So we just made it Viva Fox because I didn't want to call her Viva Vixen because that I thought was really kind of like pushing the line and I didn't want that in the comic. But then if yeah. you look at Viva's colors, like of her outfit, those are actually the Sweetbriar school colors. It's that uh-huh. pink green. So okay. like, that's the thing. When I design a character based off somebody in my life, I try to let them be really involved in the picking of it. So like when you look at Super Silas's costume, because Silas is a real life character, you know, that the, the person that the story's based off, Silas designed his costume. Silas always has his little mohawk when you see him in person. So like Silas did that. The only one that really didn't get a choice was Michael because I was like, I'm going to make Michael wizard because every superhero needs somebody that does magic. And we don't have anybody that does magic yet. So <laughs> yeah, but he's going to get to do, he's going to have a costume that looks like a wizard. But Michael even got to like kind of, like, I want short hair. Like, it was really funny when he was like, I wanted to have a goatee. I was like, you realize these are like second to fourth grade kids. <laughs> He's like, so he gets his facial hair early. And I was like, I, yeah, no, nah, man, we can't do this. So Azami actually originally kind of like gave him like a little five o'clock shadow as a joke. And I was like, I took a screenshot, you know, texted it to him and then was like, you have to erase the five o'clock shadow. <laughs> That's great. That's really great. But that's something too, like if you guys don't think about this one aspect, because there are characters in the comic that are based off people in real life, the one thing I do do is too, you know, one thing is I have permission from these people to use, you know, their names or their likeness and things like that. But when I do an issue like this, I went to every person that had a real life basis and said, are you comfortable being in this issue? And I did the same with the creative team. I went to my editor, I went to my artist, and I made sure they were all comfortable with this as well, because I never wanted to put somebody on a spot where they weren't comfortable, because that's not one of the things I felt Sam was about. You know, Sam might talk about some uncomfortable things, and it's hard to talk about with people, but I genuinely want people to be comfortable if they're working on the book, too, so. That's that's very cool. And I actually as we're talking about this issue, I think that one thing that you did that's that's very interesting. Um there was there was a tier, and this is the the tier that I did um when back in the Kickstarter. You're doing a one where like you buy one and you donate uh a book to to like a resource. Like I, I thought that was something really amazing that I haven't really seen in a lot of like Kickstarters. So where did that idea come from? So I always like that idea of like buy one, give one or like the Tom's kind of idea. Like, I don't want to say I ripped it off, but it was like, I liked that idea because I do get a lot of people when I sell my comic, they're like, Oh, I'm going to buy this and give this to my school. Mm -hmm. And I thought what would be cool is if we did this tier and then you got a copy and somebody else that you cared about got a copy because what I find sometimes too is like people would buy the comic and go, Hey, just so you know, I'm going to read these and then donate them. And I always wanted people to like, if they did that, like I always kind of felt bad, like you don't have the book anymore, but you know, maybe you didn't buy it for that. But that was part of the reason was because I met people that would tell me that they were going to give the book away. And I thought it'd be cool if they could get a book and somebody could get a book. And then when you actually look at like the price point, that tier is a really good value when you look at the two to two book total in it, mm-hmm. you know, because one, I'm only charging shipping once and I mm-hmm. actually am selling both books theoretically cheaper than what they're going to retail for if, you know, when we do retail this thing. So. 
you know, but that was where it came from because the whole idea with Sam is, is it's to help people. And this is that kind of book where if I can send it to, I don't care if you pick a police department, I don't care if you pick an elementary school or a hospital, but if it goes there and it creates a talking point and it makes somebody, you know, think about something or it changes the way someone believes something or how somebody would treat somebody, then that's done everything that it's designed to do. But you might not get that if you only were able to get a book for yourself. So. Yeah, That's actually, I didn't know about that. I, I missed that backer because actually I was doing I was doing what you said. I was going to read it and then give it to a friend. <laughs> so now I am changing my my pledge right now as we're talking. <laughs> and that's one of the things too, is like I tell people, like I do this all age comics, but I sell to a lot of adults that then in turn give them to kids or grandchildren or, you know, donate them to schools or to hospitals. But when we actually did the first Kickstarter, I did this same tier, but with the, with trying to back the trade paperback version. And even though it didn't fund, people are like, why did you do this tier? And I was like, well, look at what these stories are talking about you know, they can really reach out and help somebody. But at the same time, you know, I want to be able to share that with people. And that's why one of the things that I'm doing with this Kickstarter is, you know, when you do the Kickstarter, you know, I, I weighed out some, some things to like make it as least expensive as possible. And I was talking with some people about different things and someone's like, are you going to sell the book after the fact? And I was like, yeah, I think so, because it's going to be a great book to have. And they're like, well, if people are paying for it, why don't you just give the book away for free? And I was like, well, I still have to print those books. They cost money. Mm -hmm. But I was like, you're right. This book can't have an impact. So one of the things we're doing is, is once we get beyond the printing cost, you know, and I don't want to get into the numbers game, but a minimum $1 donation from every book that is sold beyond the Kickstarter is going to be donated to the ACLU legal fund because I thought people were right. I shouldn't be taking any of the money from this book. And, and in fairness, I've never, you know, I tell people this too. I don't make anything from this book. I take not a dime from it. If I was to do this book and actually charge for my time, the printer and the art, this would be like a $10 comic. You know, when you, and you guys know that cause you're all creators in your own, right? Like when you're doing independent comics, they're very expensive when you start to add up all these things. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I told somebody is, is I was like, you know, when I factor out the printing and everything, they're like, I was like, this initial batch, because I'm not doing any more shows for 2020, I, I'm not really relying when I did the Kickstarter numbers was the Kickstarter is basically going to fund enough to print for the Kickstarter. So anything after that, I have to pay for myself. So, you know, I have to be able to recoup that because I have to be able to put that money back into the comic because Superior Sam comics only get made when there's enough money to make a Superior Sam comic. Mm -hmm. There is no, you know, Kickstarter, this is something new for me. You know, I've never tried to do it this way because I do believe there's other projects that, you know, kind of deserve, you know, need the funding more, deserve it more than mine. And I'm in a position where I don't need to make any money from this. I do this as a way to give back. And I know that my printer needs to get paid and I know my artist needs to get paid and my editor needs to get something. But that's one of the things that keeps the cost down. But, you know, at the same time, I also, you know, I tell people I donate a lot of money to this cause already. I can't donate, to, you know, everything to it. So, you know, when you're looking at like the future sales, you know, I'll front that money and then hopefully be able to put that money back into the comics bank account so we can actually get to issue number nine. Mm -hmm. you know, and then 10 and so forth and so on. So. Yeah. That's really yeah. Cool. No, like when I, 
I I love to get like a, a print copy, but when I was going through the rewards and I saw that there was the get one, donate one, I was like, that's that's definitely for me. And like I, I think about it like uh, you know, my son goes to an elementary school that's pretty diverse and he's you know, he's he's a white kid, but like since he went to kindergarten, his 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 best his best friends are an African-American kid, an Asian kid, and a Hispanic kid. So like, if I can put this book in the library of his elementary school, I feel like that could be beneficial. So when I saw that reward, I was ready to, to jump on that right away. That's awesome. Cause I do, you know, personally, I do believe that hate is something that is, is taught or is learned by what other people see mm-hmm. from, you know, people in their lives and things like that. So, you know, when you do something like that, especially with a younger child, you're teaching them not to look at, you know, that different kind of influence and think, you know, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Or like, you can have all these friends or this does go on kind of thing. So now that's very awesome because like, and this is kind of a weird like tangent. I, I joked in my, with my wife that I wasn't going to really talk about this, but you know, one of the weirdest things about speaking is, is when I tell the kids that I used to be a police officer, I do see kids that give me this look of like distrust immediately, or I don't like you. Mm. And I have spent, you know, I retired from the police department in 2012 and I did my first speaking appearance in 2015. And I have told people that I've spent my retired police career trying to give positive interactions to children with law enforcement people. And to show them that we're more than just the badge and the gun that they see or the taking of mommy and daddy. Like I've tried to do this. And that was really the biggest influence with everything that had gone on was is because I thought about all these kids and now it was basically these kids were right. And they're saying, we told you so like cops are bad people. And I was, you know, and I told one of my coworkers this, I was like, you know, I'm embarrassed because I tried to do all this. And I talk about how, you have, you know, the media sensationalizes just the bad, you know, the bad policing. Y'all didn't make this any easier on me. Like this didn't help anybody. So, and the fact that you had so much of it back to back to back to back, I was like, that's even worse. And then it was all over the country. I was like, none of that, you know, should ever happen, but it was not good. Like, and it was constant. And then if you were trying to say the media sensationalized it, well, they had plenty to go from, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So one thing that's been really interesting to me as we've sort of gone, you know, uh, from the spring of 2020 to, to where we are now, um, I, I'm a middle-class straight white guy so you know I'm basically I've never like experienced any sort of difficulties with anything but like in the comic sphere I have so many friends you know that are from different backgrounds and we sort of come together because we love Spider-Man or we love of this you know this the same character Um, but from that that connection I've been able to see the the difficulties that they've had and it's really been amazing that we're all sort of like geeky comic book nerds and 
you know, we come from these different backgrounds and these different, you know, dealings with the police, but, um, you know, we still, from this, we can make these connections together. And I think this is something that you're doing with your comic. Yeah, it, it definitely is. You know, I tell people, you know, I kind of have a couple stories that go in my life and you guys can see them. I know the crowd won't, but I have two, my wrist are tattooed. And they're both, um, one says the river is everywhere and it's from the book Siddhartha. And below it is an asterisk. And when I'm talking to people, they're like, why do you have that? And I was like, because your whole life is one river. And when you look back on everything you've done, it's that river of your life. And I'm like, well, what's with the asterisk? And I was like, well, that's because I'm a big fan of this one band, Jack's Mannequin, and the lead singer has it. And he explains it as is no matter how different you are or what end of the asterisk you are, in the middle, you have something in common. Mm-hmm. And I got this, this is a story tattoo because one, I'm, like I said, I was a huge fan of this band and I still am. Mm-hmm. And it was on an album cover. But for me, when I heard an interview with him and he was talking, he's like, you know, I believe that I was telling a story on this album. And that's how I looked at it. I was like, police are storytellers. We are telling somebody's story, whether or not they're there or not. But I need to remember this because I'm going to have to tell this story down the road. And I want to make sure that I try to do as right as I can by anybody that I have to tell the story to. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I'm right in this story. But, you know, it was interesting because I was talking to somebody who was like, I don't like this comic. I don't think what you're doing is right. And I was like, let me ask you a question. I never had to have a conversation. I never recall this in my life where my parents had to sit me down and explain to me because my skin color was a different color that I need to be careful. I never had that because like, like Matt, you said you're, you know, that middle-aged white kid, you know, or middle, like, I don't know. You, you had a great definition of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a middle-class straight white guy. Like there's, I have no discrimination against me. I, I, I'm, I'm more discriminated. I'm lower middle class. Um, wow. <laughs> I never had this though. Like, and you know, like it really clicked on that person. They were like, I never thought about it that way. And I was like, and that's a problem because we haven't had to have this conversation. We don't realize this is actually here. And the sheer fact that somebody has to have this conversation should tell you that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it sounds like too is, you know, and I want to clarify something. I'm not saying that the police are racist. I'm saying that there's no, there's no place in our society, especially in our law enforcement, for racism or intolerance. I genuinely believe that probably 90% of the people that wear a badge, whether it's a police officer, a sheriff's deputy, federal agent, you know, they're good people in their hearts and they're trying to do the right thing and you sometimes get put in these bad situations. And a lot of times you're trying to make the worst out of a bad, the best out of a bad situation. And a lot of cops know the bad cops. And and I describe it to people like, it's like being a tenured professor. It's almost impossible to get fired once you're off probation in law enforcement. You really have to screw up. And that's one of the problems is, is, you know, I think that needs fixes. There's got to be a way that if you're doing something really wrong or, you know, you should be able to be let go of a little easier than, you know, really having to screw up and, you know, really mess up. But one of the things I try to tell somebody is I was like, you know, one of the most awkward things I, I can tell you as a police officer is, is I get some of these, I, I get these calls and I know police officers, actually the guy I talked to earlier this month when the Kickstarter launch was telling me, 
he just got one of these calls where it's, you go to this really rich, you know, and I hate to say like this white neighborhood and you get a call because there's a black kid walking around and they think he's up to something. And we, as the police officers don't want to go. It's not, and it's because in our hearts, we know this kid's not doing anything. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got as much right as to anyone else that lives in that neighborhood to be there. And the only reason we're getting a call is because somebody's uncomfortable because they think a stereotype about this person. And then it's worse because we have to actually go because then it becomes the scenario of, well, devil's advocate, what if he's up to something? Or what if they're up to something? I shouldn't say he, it can be she as well. But, you know, we as, we as first responders, we can't take that chance. And then we have to have that awkward conversation with the person. And I've had to do this before where it's, you know, hey, how's it going? Ah, not bad. Hey, uh, what you doing? Oh, I, I live here. I just moved in. All right, cool. Uh, where do you live at? Oh, oh, yeah, cool. You know, like we have to do these things. And what looks bad is, is you get this perception, you know, if you don't know that we got the call to be sent there is, you know, look at that white cop talking to that black person or that Asian kid, you know, you know, like that's racist. Well, let's clarify something we didn't want that to come there in the first place for this call because we know how this looks and we know this is wrong, but unfortunately we have to be there and we have to do this. And then, you know, my favorite is, as I, and I was talking with this guy, I was like, you know what I love about it? I have to go out there and put myself in this situation, you know, but they get to stay refused, which means they don't have to get a call back or nobody shows up at their house because they don't want to look bad. And they're like, he's like, yeah, how do you deal with that? I was like, I used to drive in front of their house and wave at them and go, Hey, took care of that for you. Like, I'm not trying to call you out, like, you know, directly, but it was one of those things where it was like, I just want you to know, like, there's nothing wrong here. You know, kind of like, you know, it, it's like that, that theory of like, where you, your dog has an accident on the floor and you immediately show it to him. Like, no. And that's how I felt about it. I was like, just so you know, you were wrong to call. Like, mm -hmm. th this was wrong. So, you know, I, I can kind of look at that sometimes where some people might not be able to and go, every cop's racist. Well, no, sometimes we get put in these situations that just make us look really bad. And we're not like that. So, but kind of a tangent-ish answer. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And what is really amazing is the, the experiences that you, you gave us during the interview um, that really see the message that you're trying to deliver with a comic. I think, you know, they always say like, write what you know, and you're clearly here writing what you know, which, which is amazing. Thanks. And I'll I tell really you like one of the weirdest things. So before, while I was, before I became a police officer and while I was a police officer, I used to play competitive paintball and I, and I got, and I was lucky enough to travel around the U S and, for a while, I kind of made a quasi Libby doing this before the economy burst and I got into law enforcement. But I was doing an interview once with a paintball magazine and they were like, tell us about the team. And I was telling them about it and they're like, oh man, you have people from all over life. And I was like, and not only is it people of all over life, I was like, you know, I've got, you know, female teammates, I've got male teammates, I've got teammates of different races economic backgrounds and I was like and it's so cool because we have this one thing that makes us in common but we also learn a lot from each other 
you know, like, and people are like, I never thought about that. Like, you know, and I would tell people all the time, these are my brothers and my sisters. Just like I say that about my law enforcement family. I'm like, these are my brothers and my sisters, you know, I will have their backs, but also too, I believe if you're family, you can tell somebody when they're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that was one of the things that I always respected about my paintball teammates is as much respect as we had for each other. If one of us messed up or we were doing something that somebody wasn't cool with, they told us, you know, and we respected them for, you know, being able to do this and being able to talk to us because that's what everybody wants to be treated like is with respect and as an adult and, you know, kind of deal. So. No, I, I, I can see what you're, what you're saying there. It's, it's, yeah, you know, you, you, no matter where you come from, if you can find something that brings you together as like, sort of like the, the characteristic or the, the, the interest that you all have, like that can, that can bring you together. And then you can sort of work through some interpersonal like issues there. So no, I, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the weirdest things is, is, you know, I'm a white kid. You know, I have Italian and Irish, you know, parents. I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to be Asian, but, you know, or any other race for that matter. And, you know, so when I write this, you know, I'm trying to write it from the best experience I can. And if I don't know, I'm not afraid to go up to somebody and be like, hey, I need some advice or some input on something. And that's why I tell people one of the most important things in life is to have diversity in your life. You know, whether it's economics, whether it's race, whether it's, you know, sex, it's whatever, to have this so you can rely on these people and go to them if you have questions. You know, because at the end of the day, if you just assume, you know what they say about assumptions. Mm -hmm. You guys know the expression, right? Yes, definitely. Me, so that's kind of how I look at it. So like, you know, when I had, when I was writing this issue, you know, and I had some questions, I wasn't afraid to go ask somebody. And the one thing, you know, is a lot of people told me is we're glad you just came and asked us because, you know, it's different if you were, you know, embarrassed or afraid. And I was like, I actually was ashamed, you know, because I feel like I shouldn't have to ask this and I should know this because I know you and I'm friends with you, but I want to make sure I get this right still. So even as an adult, I feel like I'm constantly learning too. And, you know, that's the thing is, you know, one thing, if I I believe in life, you can always be learning and you can always be treating people better. So. No, like that's, that's amazing. Like I actually was reflecting on something that I'm working on now and um, I'm thinking about like, I want to make sure that I get it right. And I have a person in mind that I want to run it past to be like, you know, I need you to sort of be like a beta reader for this to make sure that like, you know, I'm trying my best to figure out the scenario from the viewpoint that I have, but which might not necessarily be, you know, the way that might go down. So if I'm, not doing this right uh tell me so like i kind of like the description you were giving there yeah because i tell people all the time my wife and i we don't have kids you know i was that weird guy that you know my my thought is you know and i get this question all the time like why do you write a kids comic if you don't have kids well one i believe kids are the future and if we can make a better generation 
you know, in the generation after that is better, the world as a whole will be better. And then I kind of joke, plus they're also going to be the ones that take care of me when I'm old. So rather <laughs> an older good kid than, you know, an older bad person. So, but <laughs> I tell people, I believe that kids are the future and you really need to invest in your kids. That's why I believe schooling is important and sports and things like that are important, especially the creative stuff. But I joked with somebody once, I was like, you know, when I write about some of these topics, I don't have any fear going around and, you know, asking people, but I was, when I first wrote the first Sam story, I went around my neighborhood where I lived and I just knocked on the door where I knew all the kids lived. And I asked their parents, I was like, Hey, can you let your kid read this story that I wrote? Um, by the way, I live right over there. I'm not <laughs> trying to be weird. I just, I'm writing a children's book and I want to get the, make sure I got the right perspective. So it was a little embarrassing, but I was never afraid to go get that opinion. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, Chris, I think you might be the uh, the Whitney Houston of comics because you, you do believe that uh, children are the future. Um, but as we as we uh, as we close up here, um, how about if you give us a uh, like an elevator pitch for, for this Kickstarter? Oh, man, I, I don't know if I have an elevator pitch. for this. Um, all I can say is basically check out the amazing adventures. Perry Sam presents Take a Knee. It's on Kickstarter now. Um, this is a all ages social justice, anti-racism comic book where it will give you an opportunity to talk to your kids about what is going on. And if you're a child that is reading this, check out the cool characters, see the kind of people that you can become and who you could be friends with, you know, and it's okay to stand up for what you believe in and do what you think is right. That's a good pitch. Yeah, it wasn't an elevator pitch, but it was definitely uh, it was definitely uh, on point. So you, you got uh, you got everything through there, Chris. Um, let everybody know where they can follow you on social media so they can keep up to date on this Kickstarter and stuff that's going to come out uh, in the future. So I am down to just Instagram, and you can find me at Chris Barkham um, or CB Author is the the handle that I go by. But um, yeah, I just have Instagram. But if you want to follow it on Twitter, follow Jason Jones. Um, I don't remember what his official handle is on Twitter, but he'll have the Superior Sam cover in his, um, in his thing. So you'll be able to see it. But Jason is the editor on the Kickstarter. So and there's a link to it in his profile. And then you can quasi follow Josh Nickerson, who is posting a little bit, who does the art as well. Definitely. He's on Instagram as well. We will, we will link all of those. Um, and so at the time of the recording, uh, how many days of the, the Kickstarter do you have left? Do you know? We have 16 days left. We have raised $783 out of the $1,200 needed. Or if you like percentages, we're 65% funded. Okay. So we have about a little over two weeks to, to go? Yeah, we're um, two weeks to go. We're in, you know, this is the toughest time in any Kickstarter right now. I know you guys know this because it's not the first week and it's not the last week. So this is the toughest time, you know, to be doing it. So, but yeah, 16 days to go. Yeah. The, the, the middle, that sort of dreaded uh, slow period. Uh, are you, are you being a, a maniac and refreshing the Kickstarter uh, every 30 seconds? No, I'm not. That's, um, I won't that's... lie to you. I actually go days without checking it. I, I learned a lot from my first one and I don't want to stress about the Kickstarter because 
you know, at the end of the day, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And I'm fully prepared to back this thing enough to make it fun. So I'm not saying I can afford to do the whole thing, but like I got a number where we can get to there. I got no problem throwing my own money in on this thing. So, but I would really like to not have to do that if not possible, you know, if possible. So I'm not trying to say don't back this. Definitely. Well, you, you, I, I agree with you and you're, you're a stronger man than me because I have run Kickstarters where I just hit the refresh button like constantly all day. No, I try to do a weekly update. And I also am one of those people that like, I try not to like make my friends that don't care, like see constant reminders <laughs> about this, even though it's like, I literally went up to one of my buddies and was like, Hey, you didn't back my Kickstarter. He's like, I don't have kids. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> and he's like, and he sent me a text. He's like, I backed your Kickstarter. I was like, Oh, thanks, man. I was really just joking with you. And he's like, it's not how it sounded. And I was like, Ooh. but no. And you know, the other thing too, is like, I didn't get, we didn't talk about this, but you know, there are a few stretch goals, but one thing is automatically, I know the book is listed as 16 pages, but right off the bat, it's going to be 18. I'm, you know, I'm not asking the Kickstarter people to kick in that extra money. I'm mm -hmm. kicking in the extra money for these extra couple pages because nice. one, I want to do this epilogue because I got a really good idea after I came up with the page count and I was like, this is awesome. But because it's got to be in groups of four, I got to add four more pages. So I was like, cool. So we're going to do a thank you page as well. So no matter who donates, whatever, you're going to see your first name in there. So nice. Very cool. No, that's, uh, I'm, I'm very excited for, for this and uh, the, the conversation here um, that we've had tonight has uh, really just sort of solidified how, how important this is and like uh, how, you know, Noah and I have talked about this a lot that like, you know, people think about comics and they, they, they think about superheroes and we, we always say that, uh, you know, comics is a medium of telling stories. It's not, you know, superheroes. And, you know, you sort of have these these children here that don't have superpowers that, like, on the surface appear to be superheroes or dressed like superheroes. But, you know, once you sit down and you really think about it, it's it's storytelling, it's getting a point across, and that's really amazing. Well, thank you very much for that. You know, you're right. Comics as a whole is storytelling. And for anyone that says politics isn't in comics, and you read Marvel comics, you're really missing the thing because Marvel has made it clear when they were founded, like, hey, we're going to talk about some things. That's why they were always the more popular, you know, early in the 70s and things like that, because they were in touch with what was going on. And, you know, I think it's important. And I think storytelling as a whole is important. And with kids, you know, I, I've met many a librarian that thinks comics are the devil. Well, hate to tell you, but if you're getting a kid to read, you're doing something right. So, I agree. Uh, Noah, do you have uh, any final thoughts as as we close up here? Nope. Um. Uh. You know, it's it's just been good to talk. Uh. It's, again, like we say all the time, it's just really great to have people on because it's just good to know. You know, everyone has a different background and everyone has different beliefs and ideas and. 
uh, it's just cool to talk about those and how those influence your storytelling. And so I'm really grateful for the time you put in because I know it's late. I know you're tired. I know your wife is probably like, shut up, you know, right now. So uh, it's uh, so TikTok. I'm very thankful for you guys, for you being here. Awesome. So we're going to have a link to, uh, to Chris's Instagram and we're definitely going to have a link to the Kickstarter in the, the show notes of this episode for anybody listening uh, that enjoyed what we're talking about to, to jump in on the Kickstarter. Uh, if you can give us a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you use for the podcast, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on social media. Twitter is at construct Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod. Facebook and YouTube is Constructing Comics. Uh, check out the Facebook page for Ageless Press, the Instagram account for Dino Thrashers. Um, be, be ready. September 1st, 2020, there'll be some interesting stuff coming from, from Dino Thrashers. Um, links to Chris's stuff. Chris's uh, Kickstarter will be there, um, along with all of those uh, links. Uh, everybody... As we say, as we close up, uh, thanks for listening. Be safe. Be nice to each other. Go out there and make some art and make some comics.